Hello and welcome to High Shelf Gaming Podcast. I'm the host, David Gillespie. Every week, I'm joined by my co-host, Rich Wisneski, and we bring on guests to talk about role-playing games and board games and gaming conventions. If this is up your alley, feel free to download, listen, subscribe, and please rate us on iTunes. It really helps people find us. You can also connect with us on Twitter, at High Shelf Gaming, and join our Facebook group, High Shelf Gaming Podcast. It's a closed group, but click to join. We're friendly to everybody, and we'll get you added in. We also have a Discord server to talk games with us all you like. Hey, everyone. David Gillespie here again, and as always, I am joined by the mystical and magical Rich Wisniewski. Dave, great to be back. How are you doing this beautiful day? I am doing great. Today, we are recording this on all days, 4th of July. And I am not only feeling magical, I'm feeling technical. I'm feeling like a elf cyborg. Hello, sir, and your elven cyborgness. <laughs> Joining us today is also our returning friend, Heather. Welcome back. Hey, Dave. Hey, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me back. Hello, Heather. How are you today? <laughs> I'm, I'm great, Chummers. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. So uh, we had you on talking about Women in Gaming, which was an awesome yep. episode. And then we did the Gen Con Q&A, which yep. was phenomenal. And this, I think, is your first like Heather topic. This is the first time that you get to talk about something that you care about. Uh, you care about those other things, too, but this is your personal yes. passion. Yeah. Yeah, um, we're going to be talking about Shadowrun, which is my favorite setting for yes. uh, for things. After y'all talked about Cyberpunk, I was like, oh, Dave, can we do Shadowrun, please? It was like, can, the, I, can I be an elf cyborg in Shadowrun? It was, well, hold on. Yeah. It was like the next kind day, of. folks. Like the next day after we released Cyberpunk, she was like, Dave, we have got to do Shadowrun. I was like, you got it. Let's do this. All <laughs> it. All the shadow run, please. Yes. And yeah. uh, elf cyborgs is a thing. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I could make that work and role play like a robot the entire that time. Is, that is totally how shadow run works. Everyone show over. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Done. <laughs> this is straight up like Doctor Who, K9, the dog. <laughs> That's all you right. get. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Elf Cyborg, I guess more so depends on how much of your meta humanity you want to lose. That's right. right. That's right. It's an, it's an economy. You can't just spend that. So Shadowrun a lot of times gets bundled in with the cyberpunk thing because they're cybernetics. Right. But it's a completely different beast. <laughs> kind of lay the groundwork for our audience that maybe doesn't play Shadowrun. Shadowrun, is, by the way, folks, is pretty popular. It's not D&D &D juggernaut popular. But it's pretty dang popular. So uh, for the folks that maybe have never heard of Shadowrun before, kind of what, what's the deal? Sure. Um, we have to remember that Shadowrun came out in the late 80s. So, yes! Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it was first published by uh, FASFA in 1989 and yep. then sold to WizKids. Now, they also had one called Demon World. Was that anywhere related to the Shadowrun? Or is that a totally different thing from FASA? I think it's different. I think it was different. I've okay. not heard it in Just curious. When we talked about this, my little memory bell was going off about Demon World. But there is another game that is connected to Shadowrun, but we can talk we'll talk about that later. Okay. This I did not know. I've always known of Shadowrun. Okay. There is another game connected to it. So the current edition is 5th edition. It came out in 2012. So Shadowrun takes the normal timeline of the world up until approximately 1989. Which is when and Shadowrun, then, 
like Shutterman probably came out in 88, right? So they're like, okay, well, next Yeah, so they're like, next year, this calamity happens and go. Kind of. Yeah, so it takes them some time to get off that off the ground. That's where basically it diverges from normal history. Over time, corporations be, get extraterritoriality. They are not controlled by governments anymore. There is a lot of major climate change, economic upheaval, fallout from nuclear reactors, and then general racism. Native Americans, um, indigenous populations play a big part in the beginning of Shadowrun, that yeah. timeline. Then the world just kind of turns crazy. Uh, the end of the Mayan calendar, 2012, going from what is called the fifth world, so our world, to the sixth world, the awakened world, happens mm. in 2012, 2013, and magic comes back to the earth. So you have basically the same timeline from 1989 to 1999, but the world's getting progressively worse throughout that time period. Yeah. In 1999, in the storyline, there was a trucker strike in New York City. And so no food was getting into New York. And so... F- Interesting tidbit. I-, I learned from a New Yorker, a mutual friend of ours. New York City has only enough food on the island for like, I don't know, a half day. Oh, really? Of all the yeah. people who live on the island, if all of them needed to eat, which obviously they do, mm-hmm. the the Manhattan doesn't store enough food to feed everybody for weeks or months. It's like maybe a day if they ration or something like I mean, there's... Yeah a tiny amount of food on that island relative to the number of people on it. Right. And totally makes sense. So what they used as a story here was there was a trucker strike. No food was coming into the island. Um, And then there were food riots. And eventually a truck for one of the corporations that were, you know, that becomes major later was hauling infectious medical waste and these people in New York thought it was carrying food. And so they stormed, the truck to try and take it over. Oh. And what happened is the security forces for this corporation called Saratech protected it and they ended up killing 200 rioters and 20 Saratech employees were killed. Wow. Now, why that's important in all of Shadowrun is it leads to the very first Supreme Court ruling that corporations could have military grade forces that could protect their personnel and their property. So that's the first major thing that changes um, with the corporations is that now they can have basically militaries. And and this is one of the cool things about Shadowrun to me is that its lore is full of a lot of little moments like this. Yes. Just like just like U.S. law and the way that our own Supreme Court works and all that kind of stuff. You hear about, oh, there's some random case about this random pairing of people that did this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of benign. Compared to what what all was going on everywhere else, but it's the case that set the standard that makes the future that everybody lives in. And I think it's really cool that the makers of Shadowrun thought that out. Yeah. 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 They really kind of put it all together. Ridiculous. So there's two court decisions. That's the first one that basically end up forming Shadowrun. There's that one. And then the second one was a decision for one of the corps that granted the extraterritoriality that we were talking about. So those two decisions basically form the mega corporations or allow for the mega corporations to be right. created. And then there's a bunch of other history. Oh, oh, sure we'll oh, go into. oh, oh, please tell me the mega corporations are called Disney, Lego, <laughs> no. Time Warner. Or do they still have ominous, like, Shinashintu labs? Uh, yeah, kind of like that. The names of, like, the megacorps, like, Ares, 
technology, as technology. There's one called Evo. There's this huge sea change in uh, like American power structure as related to private industry and all of that stuff. And that pretty well tracks with your typical cyberpunkian ethos and all of that good stuff. But then things get really weird. Yes. So at the end of the Mayan calendar and into the next year, magic returns to the world. Yay, magic! <laughs> so, and we're jumping over some other things that happen, like 10% of the population dies before that, but you know. Yeah. Uh, Yay, <laughs> the thing that happens. 2011 is called the year of chaos. And what happens there is babies begin to be born with oddly different features. They look, they end up calling them elves or dwarves because that's what they look like. So pointed ears, very lithe figures, or you know, short, stocky uh, beings. So they start to be born. It's called the unexplained genetic expression. And then on December 24th, that's when the first dragon appears. Dragon. Yay, dragons! It's, but these are human families that are having these babies that the look babies. like elves yes. and dwarves. These aren't... Okay, that had to have been terrifying for those first... Yes. Like, that first wave of families. I'm like, what the F is going on here? Okay, mm-hmm. cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, so that is that happens. And then the dragon dragons begin to reappear. The first one is, happens on December 24th. Ley lines and standing stones start to reemerge in Britain on December 26th. And then the big one that I love is Dunkleson, the dragon, the big D, shows up January 27th, 2012. Um, and I really love that, the big D. I really love that because it connects to some a big story element later on that mm. is super great for GMs. But magic comes back. People are able to harness the... Uh, spirits and cast spells and just that is where it it just goes away from cyberpunk um, sure like but normal cyberpunk but everything becomes uh, way more mystical at that point because yes. like ley lines for the folks who have not heard that term before ley lines <laughs> are like these ribbons of power that stretch across the land and sometimes they'll meet so you have two ley lines intersect and there's like this node of power there in in a lot of settings, and this one included, people who do magic, if they're near a ley line, their efforts are boosted. They're you know more powerful, or they're able to achieve greater greater results. That kind of thing. So they become crazy important in the yes. world. Yeah, people want to control them. So right, and and like and thank goodness there's this new arm of crazy powerful corporations that have their own militaries and are you know, incentivized to control places of power, like, exactly. like the meetings of ley lines. <laughs> yeah. Everything's sure. fine. Everything's fine. People don't worry about it. Don't and look. by the way, there are two ley lines that meet directly under me right now. Heck yeah. Hence my power. Hence your power. You are so powerful. <laughs> um. Yes. I got to jump in on a couple questions. Cause a few things just hit me. Okay. It was written in 89 originally, mm-hmm. and it was based on everything after 89. And then they did a they did one later in the 90s. They did another one in the aughts. And then finally 2012, I think you said. Yes. So do they always reset, hey, this is released in 2012, but it kind of picks up in 2018? Or do they always keep referring back to that original date from the 89 book? That's the great thing about Shadowrun is when they put out a new book, they put it in a new year. So when 5th edition came out, it was 2075. 
Oh, giving lots of room for all the stories and adventures that have taken place. And so does the 2012 edition refer to the same first court ruling? Yes. Wow. That's what's wonderful, I feel, about this, especially coming from a lore standpoint, since I lore so much. For the most part, all of the books that were created lore-wise from first edition to fifth edition, have usable lore within them. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is that's covered over multiple publishers because it's like yes. cryptozoology now, not FASA. And so somehow they've kept that storyline alive between companies. Well, now it's published yeah. by Catalyst. Boom. Yes. Oh, Catalyst. I'm sorry. I, I meant Catalyst. No, yeah. So they, yeah. they went to they Labs, changed. right? Catalyst Labs? Yes. Right. They changed yes. publishers three times, I want to say. Three or four. Wow. It was- and it had a huge following in Europe. Yeah. Um, At one point. Well, still does. Uh, there's one thing before I talk about that, David, that I want to touch on because I we haven't, and it's yes. important, and that's goblinization. Oh, yeah. This is really important. So what happens in 2021 is called – they call it goblinization. And what happens is – Pathfinder takes over. Yep, it's, to, it's all Pathfinder from here on out. People begin to turn into trolls and orcs, what they call trolls and orcs. People would just shift – over a period of time into a troll-like creature and it's kind of like creature and if i remember right it's kind of like metamorphosis if you if you read that story like it's a gradual thing didn't happen mm-hmm. overnight it was one of those things that they wake up and their skin color is changing a little bit their ears are changing a little bit and after the course of like maybe a week or a month or something like that they're completely different they got to buy all new clothes uh, their families are rejecting them because they look weird and it's awful yep and then from that point then they start, you know, giving birth to troll babies and orc babies, and then those, you know, those races are formed. But it's a very important thing. There's definitely race wars that happen after it. Like I know some countries uh, banned those that were trolls or orc, put right. them on special islands. I think Japan was one of them. All the meta humans had a lot of yes discrimination visited upon them by several governments and other organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but that was the, that's the one of the last big things. (laughs) I mean, there's tons of big things, but the goblinization is really important to talk about because that becomes one of the five races that you can play. Right. So you have human, elf, dwarf, orc, and troll. So for the folks out there that are playing D&D and say, okay, why don't I try sci-fi? This is actually kind of familiar, but it's so different. Like, it sounds familiar on the front end. You're like, oh, okay, well, I can play an elf. That's cool. But <laughs> but then you read the book, and you're like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. My troll cyborg sniper who hacks on the side, I am not playing D&D. This is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and before we even talk about leveling up, I mean, we kind of have to tell you, Rich, that there's not really class. You don't. Well, then actually- how do you know who has to heal? <laughs> And how do you know who has to open the lock? <laughs> how do you know who has to punch people? Shadowrun is a skills and powers based game. You're yes. you're growing skills as you develop. You're attaining powers and growing those powers, developing those powers. But as you play, you gain experience points and you spend those experience points on these things that you want to develop. You don't have to cross class to do all these different things. You can just like, look, my character can do four things. And those are four different powers or skills or whatever they have. And I'm going to spend points on them. And I'm going to grow the ones I care about. And I'm going to let the other ones kind of stay where they're at if I'm happy with them. 
Right. Exactly. So you don't have classes necessarily. Um, the book will talk about, and people that are familiar with Shadowrun will talk about the archetypes that you kind of fall into of skill sets. And if you want, I can go over those. So I, we did talk a little bit about, we did a Shadowrun, the Shadowrun Crossfire episode talking about the deck builder game that they've got for it. Street Samurai! Yep. And there's the Street yes. Samurai, the Face, the Mage. Yes. Magical Samurai again! How many times <laughs> can this happen? <laughs> so there's a couple of archetypes. There's definitely some more in there as well. Uh, what, what else are we missing on that? So Street Sam, there's the uh, Hermetic Mage, there's the Shaman, which is, they are different in just kind of the way they play. Right. There is the Decker, which is also the hack, the Hacker. Yeah, um, buddy. And the Rigger, which is kind of your driver and uh, uses drones. Yep. They have the Physical Adept, which is a monk-type class. I would be, like, if you're talking about D&D, it would be kind of your monk. Right. Is how I've seen it described. The newest one um, with uh, 5th edition was Technomancer. Yes. Which, which is a hacker that does not need to use technology to get into the Matrix. Oh my jeezy ma. That sounds greatness. They fused tech and magic. Because, you know, in this in this world, at least for, uh, for the first several editions, magic and tech really avoided each other. Absolutely. If, if you were if you were into magic, you really didn't want to have tech on you because it would mess up your magic. And wow. if you were a tech user, you kind of didn't want to be in your magic because it would mess up your tech. So mm-hmm. the two did not like each other. But it makes sense that eventually people are going to f- figure out and they're going to develop ways to merge the two. Yes. Into interesting ways. So yeah, the Technomancer looks really cool. Again, I haven't gotten to play Fifth Edition. I've read through it. And I really want to. <laughs> Yeah. And I really want to mess around with the Technomancer because it seems like a really cool class, uh, archetype. See, I do that too. <laughs> you say classes because we're so used to it because of D&D, Pathfinder, every other game we play. Yep. And uh, archetypes are are the classes, but because you get to build characters via skills and abilities. And when you, uh, as Rich said, level up, when you use your experience mm-hmm. or karma, in this case is what it's called, you raise certain skills that you want to do. I want to be more powerful with magic or I want to get more spells. Then I do that. Um, right. The two things that you've talked about or mentioned um, are essence and edge. And because of your cyborg uh, elf there, Rich, let's see. Yeah, buddy. Example for every piece of metal or uh, that you put into your body. So your cyber arm, your comm link, your cyber eyes, you lose cyber feet. Yeah, uh-huh. but for every piece that you put in there, you lose what's called your essence. You lose your meta humanity. But there comes a point where you run out of essence. <laughs> it is not an, a filling commodity. You, if you zero out your essence, you are basically a cyborg. Hence, why I talk like this when yeah. I play in my character. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you're on the cusp of. <laughs> By the way, then, does that allow then the GM to influence you in a way that you I mean really you're not you're not really a human anymore? You're part of this robot world. Um, you know, could you lose essence and the GM takes over? You can't. I mean, I've played in games where you either. I mean, I'm sure there's specific rules for it. And I've I've been in games where you're down to like that last point two of essence or whatever, and you are doing that. You're not making. You're not making decisions based on compassion. Uh, right. You're 
just doing what needs to be done. Um, I think there there's a specific word for it in Shadowrun. I don't remember what it's called. Being um, a robot. Being, yes, it's being a robot. The other thing I was going to mention, which I know you wanted to talk about, was Edge and exploding dice. Yes, I love it. So this is a D6 exploding system. Exploding dice. This, this is, is a, a great game. Yes, <laughs> it's 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 like it's like rolling a twenty on a on a twenty sided die, but way more fun because then you get to roll more die. Mm-hmm. This is a D6 system. So you're rolling D6s. And you're rolling a lot of them. Right. Because most of the time you're rolling your um, attribute and like a skill. And and then when you're rolling damage, <laughs> you're rolling a ton of dice. So you can choose to use a thing that's called edge. And it's like luck points on a roll. Now edge can do many different things. The one that we're talking about specifically is... When you decide to use it on an attack or something, you can say that you're going to go for the exploding dice option. And it's called pushing the limit or push the limit in Shadowrun. And yeah, you get to uh, roll your dice, your dice pool. And when you get a six for every every six you roll, you count it as a hit and then re-roll that die, adding any additional hits from the re-roll to your total. Yeah. Combat. It, it, you know, there's only like these three little rows, and when you start getting hurt, you start losing dice from your dice pool, and it's cumulative. And it looks like once things start to go downhill, I mean, taking three dice out of your dice pool is probably the beginning of the end. Um, how is combat? How is death and dying? Because I never like people to live. Do I? Can I kill people real easy here? Yes. Oh my God! Can you? Shadowrunners don't live. Level paladins, they die. They don't. They don't make it. Don't live a long, a long life most of the time. If you uh, get enough money to get out, you tend to get out. Right. That is a common character life goal. Is I want to get enough money to pay off all my debt and Mm -hmm. finally get out of this horrific job that I'm in. (laughs) Because you're going to die on any one of these missions. Yeah, you can um, just like cyberpunk. I remember you guys talking about it there. It's brutal. There's not, especially for like a mage. There's not a ton of armor. And also, so all of these dice pool systems, like L five R that we talked about, and Shadowrun here, you're rolling all these dice, and there's this step of having to count out your die. You know, mm-hmm. and just counting the die is time spent at the table. So with Shadowrun, when I was running it for my friends, I would always tell them just pre-roll your stuff. Like your turn's coming up, you see the initiative order. Just pre-roll your stuff and let me know the numbers when you, when we get there. Because just doing that really cuts down on the amount of time that combat takes. I will say people die fast in this game. So my Shadowrun fights went a lot quicker than my D&D <laughs> fights. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. not chewing through so many hit points. But uh, it does help speed up oh, individuals' oh. turns. So, you know, I'm prepping for Gen Con, right? And I'm kind of rereading my module, writing out some of my character sheet notes and things. You know, I, I, I maybe I maybe have some rats. I maybe have some of this monster. I maybe have some of that monster. I maybe have some giant or huge things. What, what about bad monsters? I mean, we've talked about guns. We're talking about tech. We're talking about augmenting your reality. Do you guys go in and you find some mad scientist has these... D&D-esque monsters? Yes, actually. You uh, can. Uh, While Shadowrun does definitely take place in the technology field of going into corpse and hacking them or whatever, there are still um, paracritters, they call them. When the magic uh, awakening happened, it 
took normal creatures and kind of turned them into things. There we go. Um, so yeah. you could have a bugbear, or you could have other form. Well, dragons. Okay, you said dragons, but yeah. but yeah, dragons are definitely a major thing. But they're not like something you go hunting. Yeah, I wanted to talk about one of the things that happens in other sci-fi games is eventually you start going to other places. Like D&D, you have different realms. Not so much in Cyberpunk. In Shadowrun, we've got these ley lines. You've got all this stuff going on. Are there different realms? Are there different planets? Are there different places you can end up? Yes. I mean, starting at your baseline, there's different cities you can go to. Given all the upheaval, like the United States and the whole North American content, uh, continent has shattered. There's so you have different um, ways of thinking throughout. Like California is a free state. The Native Americans have their own country. Yeah, their own territory, like right in the middle of the United States. Yeah, they basically took everything that was in the middle of the United States all the way up to Seattle, which is still a part of the United uh, United Canadian States. Portland became the haven for elves. So you can go to different cities or different runner havens, like I mentioned earlier, Denver, Chicago, Hong Kong. And then you can go to other realms, though that's kind of gets into the other game system I mentioned earlier. Ah, what is the other game system? It's called Earth Dawn. Okay. Hmm, that doesn't even ring any bells. <laughs> it is Why is that? Not super well known that I know of and the only reason that I know of it is because one of the older modules oh. from I think I don't remember which edition, but it links back from Shadowrun to Earth Dawn. Interesting. And one of the major plot points of those books is if you consider Shadowrun the awakened world the sixth world and the time before that what we know as human history as the fifth world earth dawn is the fourth world oh okay so earth dawn is the fourth world the earth that we all know and live in um in the real world that's the fifth world mm -hmm. and Shadowrun is the sixth so and you mentioned this dragon what's this the deal dragon. what's the deal with this dragon i'm so excited so this specific dragon um dunk Lizin, uh big d is <laughs> He wasn't, shut up, Rich. Uh, he wasn't the first dragon to emerge after the Awakening, but he was the first dragon to speak to metahumanity about what was going on. Oh. So why, you know, there were elf babies and dwarf babies and why there were dragons now um, and magic. And so he kind of became the talking head for all of these things that were going on. Got it. He ended up having a show called Worm Talk, where he would just come on and talk for a while about what? different things in metahumanity. Uh -huh. As a dragon. As a dragon. And he had a, a person that would talk for him Yes. as well. He ended up having three within his lifetime. Why I think he is such a cool character. Like the Dalai Lama of Shadowrun. <laughs> of Shadowrun. <laughs> yeah. Why he... And he had influence in a lot of the books and modules. But from a GM standpoint, one of the coolest things that happened was that he was killed. This very powerful dragon, and I won't, I won't go into the whole storyline behind it, but he was assassinated. Okay. Okay. So he <laughs> left, this rich dragon left a will of 
kind of it was riddles. Some of it was very specific, like Ready Player One. Uh, no, not so much Ready Player One. Um, it was more like part of it was like I leave rich th- this one luck luck token right from my vault. But other parts of it were if you can find such and such person who is in Chicago, return them to the foundation and you will be given a reward. Lots of adventure points. Yes. And like I was reading through it last night, kind of in prep for this, and I didn't even make it all the way through the the whole will. It was this great creation by the team to give GM's plot hook. You could, as a GM, say, okay, well, we're going to do this. Your fixer, who's the person that gets jobs for you, has asked you to do this job. And it's from his will. I think it's such a good tool for GMs to have that spark, that starting point. And it's even great for players whose characters look at it and go, oh, we can do this. We right. can, this is a run that we can do. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it gets into a, There's another interesting thing about that. Sometimes your fixer will bring you a job and that fixer will bring you an exclusive job. So, you know, there's no other crews running it. Mm-hmm. This will is open to the public. So as a yep. GM, you can say, hey, we've got these will missions. You guys think you can hack it? Oh, yeah, we can hack it. Well, you can sprinkle in other runners along the way or the corpses oh, nice. or the corpses of it. other runners. You'll be like, all right, cool. You, you enter this darkened hallway and there's a body there, clearly a runner. They've been dead for mm-hmm. weeks. And the crew's like, uh, I loot it. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the crew does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it did have some good story elements to it that connected that dragon character with other characters that are part of the mythos. And then, like it said, it had all these different, you know, runs and things that you could put your players on. I love all of the, the plot that they put into it because they did a really good job of organizing it, making it something that could kind of stand the test of time from edition to edition. I, I think that's one of the biggest strengths of Shadowrun is one, it's a, it's a really fun world, but two, the story of it is coherent from edition to edition. And that's, that takes a lot of forethought. That takes a lot of planning on their side to make that something that's going to work. There are so many things that we haven't even touched upon in this conversation that we've had, which is so amazing about this game is that it's so much, there's so much depth to it. I mean, we've barely talked about the matrix. We haven't talked about the astral at all. Right. Like if you're going to make a Decker, you need to know what the matrix is. Right. Right. If you're going to make a mage, you need to know what the astral is. And we haven't even touched on it or, nor have we gotten into past 2021 in the history of 20. 2080 is where they're at right now. So like we haven't touched on 60 years. That's how in-depth Shadowrun is. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah. And why we, I love it. And why we I definitely, so we are definitely going to come back and revisit this because there's so much going on in Shadowrun. And it's a pretty popular game. There's a lot of people yes. who play it. And for good reason. It's fun. It's got a lot of depth. And you can kind of do anything you want with it from a character perspective. Yeah. Um, and if your group is into doing the mission going and being incredibly active and they don't necessarily like talking to a lot of NPCs. They want to go do the thing. Shadowrun is a great game for that because you don't have to focus on the in-between. You don't have to focus on the downtime between Shadowruns. I'll say when I had my biggest crew and we were playing Shadowrun, that was so awesome 
because I could have players that they just wanted to show up and play and they did their thing. And then I had like two other players that cared about the in-between stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we could do little mini sessions really and kind of figure out what's going on between sessions with those, with, with those two players and then say, all right, we've got a mission. And we put the call out to the crew. Hey, who all can come to this mission? And you know what? Not every day could every player make it. And that's yeah. fine because it's a mission and you got, you don't bring everybody on every mission. So yeah, Shadowrun is one of those games that really can fit into a lot of different group dynamics, much less, you know, much more so than like your typical adventure where the party has to always be together and yeah, Shadowrun, you can split the party. It doesn't matter. Something that you guys brought up in cyberpunk that I'd really am curious here to get your idea, David, is what do you think reflects shadow run and pop culture okay so we did talk a lot about the movies and music i think music is the same folks there's not a lot of movies out there or tv shows out there that really capture anything like this that has fantasy creatures in a future setting or modern setting the only thing i can really think of that came out in the last five years is probably bright with will smith Yes. If you're think, t- thinking about the Shadowrun experience with races and things like uh, races, then yes. What I love about Bright was the gangs. Which yes. Which is also something we really haven't touched on, but gangs are huge. Street gangs are huge in Shadowrun in every city. And I think Bright captured that very well in like all the people that were going after this this item or the, this crew that there were like so many gangs yeah, and, and between the races too. And, and I think that bright doesn't touch on any of the tech side of things no. or any of the, there's so much stuff in shadow run that, that you really couldn't capture it all in, in one like movie. And I don't think that bright was trying to, I think they were just trying to say, Hey, let's do a, a thing with fantasy races. But the one thing I did really like about it is their handling of magic. Cause magic was so terrifyingly powerful and bright and certainly in Shadowrun, there's lots of magic that's not terrifying, but there's some that is. Not everyone has access to magic. It is right. still pretty rare. Um, I mean, there are like colleges are dedicated to studying it, things like that, but not everyone has it. Right. So people still look at that and be scared of it. I got one for you. Hmm. What you got? And this is um, via Rich's Wayback Machine. As we were talking about technology and, and monsters and dragons, I thought of the Dungeon Master from the 80s. I'm going to read you the bio. Okay. A so. demonic, oh, I saw it in the movie theater. I remember riding my bike to go see this in the movie theater. A demonic wizard challenges a modern-day computer programmer to a battle of technology versus sorcery with the programmer's girlfriend as the prize. Now, it is not Shadowrun, but... He does have this like thing on his arm that's like a computer, and he fights the wizard with it. So it does have some technology and sorcery. But man, I had to dig really deep to find that one, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. There really isn't a good comparison to Shadowrun. I mean, I made a joke about Reign of Fire with AI, Matthew McConaughey, smoking right. the weed. But, you know, that, that's that's still not the whole thing. It's just mm-hmm. a teeny little bit of a dragon in modern times. Yeah. If you are looking for a game where you can go and be the super stealthy spy guy, this is a game for you. So my example is Ocean's Eleven. (sighs) 
Yes. Because if you fill some of those roles with orcs and trolls and elves and whatever, Ocean's Eleven is a heist movie. You are breaking into a corporation and you have to be the face. You have to be, you know, the cat burglar. Yeah. You have, you have to shadow run the, so the mission to get into the corp is one thing, but getting the information to get into the corp and setting all of that up is another aspect of gameplay in Shadowrun. Some groups choose to not do it as well as others, but a big part of Shadowrun for me is that kind of heist sort of thing. Yeah. So Shadow uh, Ocean's Eleven and those type of movies, heist movies, I think are a real good representation if that's the type of game you want to play. The Shadowrun games that I ran had a lot of heists in them because it's a system. Those are systems that are built for it. And Shadowrun has some really cool options for people trying to do a heist because you got this whole astral plane thing. You have the you have the net. You have all this stuff. I have a David Gillespie hack. All right. This is a high shelf exclusive hack for you folks. <gasps> Your crew can spend hours and hours planning every little thing because yep. your dm will make all the schematics for you give you all this information and the players will spend hours planning and then we've run out of time we have to go and wait again for the next session before we get to actually execute on the plan right this is high shelf gaming exclusive for you folks gms grab yourself a deck of cards ask the players your characters have all kinds of resources associated with them. You have favors with all these allies, these people you've done work for in the past. You have money. You have hackers. You have magicians. You have all this stuff. Tell me how much time, money, favors, other resources you're going to spend on this and who you're going to spend it with. Mm-hmm. Players will tell me, they'll, they'll account for all that stuff. Oh, we're going to dedicate this kind of money. We're going to call in these favors. We're going to, we're going to uh, hire these hackers for this amount of time. We're going to pay them so much, all that kind of stuff. They kind of describe what they're going to put into this. And out of that deck of cards, I'll assign a value. This is just me kind of making stuff up, but I'll assign a value to all of that. And I'll grab a number of red cards, you know, hearts and diamonds. And those are, that's what the players have invested in this heist. And then I'll account for how smart, tough, and well thought out the enemy is, and I'll sprinkle in clubs and spades, okay? So the good guys have their accounting, and the bad guys have their accounting. I'll put those cards together, and I'll shuffle it up. And then I'll say, all right, the heist is begin. Start me off, guys. Where you, here's the building. Here's the thing. Somebody tell me where you are. And one of the players will say, cool, uh, my character is walking down this hallway dressed as a janitor, and he's got the right badge to be in this hallway. I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds pretty, pretty good to do. That might have been a little tough. I'm going to draw three cards off the deck. Are all of them red? All right, that was a perfect success. Your character has, that part of the heist has gone well. Is there a black card in there? Ah, there's a wrinkle. You're in that hallway, you're good to go, but maybe there's a timer on how long that badge is going to be good for. Something that your character has to, your players have to work around. Right. Without wasting all the time to get that point. Yes. I love this idea because do you show them the cards as you're flipping them? Yeah. So they even get a little antsy. Like the first three things go perfect and they're like, 
oh fudge we're gonna mess up Something's i mean because everyone messes up in right. something right, right. so it, they get the anticipation they get nervous or else they blow through a couple things and go okay we got this easy run yes. which is also okay yes and, you and know it's, it's also all right because there's gonna be a conflict at some point at some yeah. point the camera catches a the thing there's guys with guns and you gotta fight mm-hmm. Gene, the, the yes. question is how deep can you get before that happens and the great thing is that my players get to surprise me because as a GM, I don't know what the plan is and maybe they don't either. And we get further into the heist and I say, okay, you're at this locked door and somebody else says, okay, my character is now going to be in the scene now. Right. And we have to kind of figure out, okay, well, how could they have gotten there? How expensive would that have been out of the deck? And I'll draw those cards. And if there's enough black cards, I'm like, all right, this fails. Maybe you're in the area, but something has gone wrong. Now there's guys with guns. Now it's a chase. And this, oh man, guys, if you're playing these kinds of games with heists, this card deck thing, if you, you work on it, work on a little bit, you know, I'm not saying what things have value, but it's a great way to have the heist and still have that kind of cinematic experience of you're all the players, but you're also kind of the audience and you can kind of see how it unfolds. And there's totally an ability to just do so much planning and so much forethought, like in Ocean's Eleven, where it's perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's one of those things that I uh, I use that in my games, and it really made the heists way more dynamic and interesting. Well, and it sounds great to have your players tell you what they have or how they want to do it without you having to sit through, okay, you talked to that contact that you know for three hours to get this thing, but instead your players are on the spot improving and coming up with that story. Okay, so I have this badge and it's a pretty good one. You know, I, my contact with was only like a two, so so it's it's a pretty good one and I'm going to walk down this hall and I'm just going to act normal. And that's like straight up improv and that's what GMs want to see from their players. Yes. And if that if and the that way that you were just talking about seems like a great way to get your players to engage and with you and tell a story with you rather than just you telling them your story. Right, cuz if they do all the planning, then it's like, all right, we show up to the session, it's like, awesome. Yeah, the script works. And maybe the GM like throws in one or two little wrinkles here and there, but it feels very kind of already done. Like all the work was done. And so the reward is just seeing it unravel. And I, I like the card way because it, it makes it a little bit more like, ooh, maybe this is going to fail. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. That's a, that's a hot take right there. David Gillespie hot take. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, well, cool. I, I know we're going to come back to this because there's so much to unpack in Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that we haven't mentioned that is critical for the person who's just now looking at Shadowrun? Ooh. Um, I would say if you're going to start looking into it, look at the corporations that like get to know that and get to know, um, if I would stick with North America personally, um, and look at how the breakup of the nation happened. Mm-hmm. Those two things are extremely important. If you're getting in the corporations more than the nation. Sure. Um, it helps, with, helps with immersion, run, helps with understanding yeah. the bad guys and the good guys. Exactly. That would be I, definitely take a look at the timeline that there's it's all over the web. Yeah. Um, and look into the corporations. I would the story of it is so awesome that 
just doing a heist or just doing something like that, you don't necessarily need all the rules. Right. You don't need to know all the things. You can just be like, I want to be the face. I want to be. Yes. Because, folks, this book, I'm looking at it right here. The fifth edition book is 489 pages. Mm-hmm. And it has, and this is the master index edition. So it has an, a really good index. You don't need to know all of this stuff. Right. You need to know the stuff that's good for, for your first couple of missions, your first couple of yep. games. Yeah. I mean, and if you're just getting into it, just check out the story. It's so good. And then go decide that your five friends are going to go break into a corp and steal some data and, mm-hmm. and just get into it that way. Just yeah. Go watch your favorite heist movie and then plan that. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. What's the problem? And give that to your players and see how they do the heist. See how they do yeah. the uh, the corporate espionage or the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that good. would be that, that would be my take from it if you want to get into it. And then the video games, uh, Shadowrun Returns. If you're interested in it, play that game. It'll give you a good yeah. intro. And we should also mention there's a bunch of novels and novellas at the bookstore. Oh God, yes. So if you yeah. want if you want to read a bunch of stuff about the world, there's tons of literature for you. Yeah, I, there's definitely ones that came out in the early '90s. Those are very well known by the Shadowrun community, and then I think they started releasing more in the 2000s. Nice. Yeah, mid 2000s, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, we should probably start wrapping this up. Okay, so folks, we do have a little bit of bookkeeping here just on this episode. Folks, we are doing a t-shirt drive. It's going to end this week. So uh, right after this episode comes out, if you're hearing this the first couple of days that it's come out, please go and check out our website, highshelfgaming.com. We're doing a t-shirt drive to help kind of fund a lot of the projects that we're working on. So please give that a give that a look. It's a great t-shirt. Thank you. Yeah, we're really happy with it. Uh, my sister-in-law, yeah. Amy, is awesome. And she gets credit at the end of these episodes, too. So, And Heather, how do people find you? Because you are all over social media. Um, at Katrina on Twitter and pretty much anywhere else is where you can find me. Thank you guys so much for uh, having me on. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. Have fun and play well. May all your roles be exploding crits. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. We do have a new review from Original Rays. So, Original Rays, thanks a ton for your review, sir. Really appreciate it. Or, madam, I don't know what your <laughs> what your stuff is, uh, but thanks a ton for your review. We really appreciate it. It's either a guy or a barbecue joint. <laughs> and either one could give us a great review. I love you, Original Rays. I use your sauce every day. 